welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where sometimes we actually read good stuff. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And this is our book year in review. Hello. Hello, everyone. We're talking about books this year. <laughs> At least some some books. Some books. Yeah, this these end of year wrap up episodes have like been on a journey. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you maybe know they've changed. If you are new, hello, welcome. The old ones are still up and you can go back and listen if you also want to go on this journey. Um, they used to be more elaborate and we used to do two parts. And this year, uh, we're just going to do one episode. Just going to keep it short-ish because God knows we're probably going to just start jibber-jabbering. But we're aiming to do just one one best of 2021 episode. And then I do want to say right now up front, after this, we are going on a, a little uh, January hibernation. So we'll be back as a podcast in February. Probably with a Nora Roberts book, to be honest. Probably with Nora Roberts. Yeah, just as part of our process of staying relatively sane as we do this <laughs> podcast. So if just so you know, don't be alarmed. We'll be back. I was going to say better than ever, but I don't know, man. Pro- probably about the same. To be <laughs> honest, about probably about the same. same. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is, so I, I do want to say this at the top just because it's so funny to me. And I can't remember if I've ever mentioned it on the podcast before in the past year. I don't normally read our reviews. I did for a little while and then I stopped. But one of the services that we use does do like a review roundup that they email to us. And last year, I just happened to glance at the top review in one of these emails. And the review was something along the lines of like, well, I really liked this podcast. But then like this last year in review episode, they didn't talk about books at all. And they're supposed to be a book podcast. So I unsubscribed. Yeah, (laughs) It was just it is it was the funniest I could not stop laughing after I read it like it is so genuinely funny to me that we pushed through and recorded every episode on schedule in 2020 the year of our Satan everything is terrible time when like everyone else was taking hiatuses and then we get to the end of the year and we're like we're gonna do one episode that's just where we just talk and no done unsubscribed I can't take this anymore (laughs) I know and I I also don't read reviews I unsubscribe from that review roundup even but you um you had sent that one to me because it specifically if if you'll recall last year instead of doing books we just picked like our 10 favorite things of 2020 like the things that kind of got us through that weird year when attention spans were shot and it was harder to like sit down and read a book I, Caitlin, read one book total the entire year. Or actually, I think like five, because I did read some in January and February. (laughs) Before, yeah. But one of my things that I picked was the child, Baby Yoda from The Mandalorian, who, by the way, I still love Baby Yoda. That has not changed. Love (laughs) Baby Yoda. Love him until he becomes adult Yoda, and then I'll go back to being neutral about him. But... (laughs) That review specifically was like, yeah, I get it. Everybody likes Baby Yoda. Like, you're not special. And I was like, okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Anyway, 2021, still love Baby Yoda. Mark it down. Unsubscribe from the podcast if you need to. Do what you got to (laughs) do. But we we are talking about some books this year. Not because that guy told us to. 
Yeah, fuck off that guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not but, listening. He unsubscribed. Uh, so we don't know the gender, but I assume it was a man. Yeah. It sounds like something <laughs> a white heterosexual like cisgender man would do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so in years past, before the pandemic, we were more elaborate and we picked different categories. We picked five in different categories. And this year we were like, let's simplify it and just do our top five total. And then secretly, independently, we each picked six. <laughs> and I was, and then we're like, okay. That's the top six books of the year. Well, if you're if you're not gonna put me on blast, I'll put myself on blast. I logged on to the call and Renato was like, Well, I saw you picked six books, and I actually also like had a sixth book I really wanted to put on here. It was really hard. So can I put it on? And I was like, I picked six books. (laughs) I lost count of books. I went over this list several times, and when I only had five, I was like Oh, I thought I picked five, but I guess I didn't. Let me grab like the next one that would be on my list. And it turned out I had already picked five. I just lost the ability to sequentially count. So that's how we're doing, everyone. Yeah. I'm also going to say another twist for my list. I, this year, I, again, was hashtag blessed and highly favored to um, have the Boston Globe books editor ask if I would pick the... The Boston Globe's best middle grade and young adult books of the year, which is seems like such responsibility to put on me. Like they keep asking me, I'm like, "Are you sure you want me to do this?" <laughs> but uh, like, are you sure? Um, but I worked really hard on the list. I think it's a good list. But also, are you sure? Anyway, uh, at the time we're recording this, I've created my list and submitted it, but it hasn't been posted yet. But by the time this episode comes out, I think it will be. So I'll link to it on our website or like you can Google it, but I'm not putting any middle grade and young adult books on my podcast list just because I already made another list of those. And also because that made it easier for me to get down to five, I mean, six favorites. (laughs) So I'm only doing adult books, but trust me, there were a lot of great young adult and middle grade books this year. And and I told the Boston Globe about that. It's so weird. I and I I've been trying not to be like as self-deprecating or whatever cuz I also when people were putting worst bestsellers in their Spotify wrapped I was like I literally the thought that it was in my head was like that's so weird. It's on their next like real podcast. And I was like I guess we're a real podcast. Like we're a real podcast. I made a list for the Boston Glo- I don't know what the fuck. This is not like affected self-deprecation. It's true bewilderment, but anyway that's what's going on with us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I I guess I'll start off because yeah. I'm first in this document. So. That's right, baby. But I, I will say, and if you, if you are new to the podcast, this will be news. If you're not, this will be probably not news. I am notoriously bad at remembering what happened in books, even books that I love. I used to make fun of my mother for this. When I was a child, my mom would come home from the library with like a Mary Higgins Clark book that I knew she already read because I recognized the cover. And I would say like, why are you reading that one again? And she'd be like, I'm not reading it again. I'm like, no, you definitely are. You took that same book with that cover out of the library like four months ago. And she was like, I completely fucking forgot. I mean, she didn't say that to me as like a six-year-old. 
<laughs> but, but that I'm was sure, the essence. I'm sure it was what was going through her mind. And I used to think that was so wild. And now as an adult, I am like that constantly all the time. And I literally have had a meme open on, it's not even a meme. It's like a screenshot from a TikTok open <laughs> uh, in a tab <laughs> Since like February, because I was like, no, I need to post this when we do our year in review. <laughs> and it's just like a book talker going, books that I love and recommend, but do not remember anything about the plot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you really need to take going into what I'm about to say for all of these books. I, I do genuinely love these books. My ability to remember anything that happened in them has less to do with how good they are and more to do with my own Swiss cheese depression addled brain. So. I mean, you, you could look them up again before we record. I could that do that, <laughs> but. We do have that technology. <laughs> I could, but. Anyway. <sighs> that being said, my number six, I guess. <laughs> not five (laughs) book that i read this year was the taking of jake livingston by ryan douglas which was it's a ya horror book it is very interesting it was very spooky it was very atmospheric it did take me a little while to get into it but once i did it was one of those things where i was like okay like this is slower than i expect it and then i hit a point where i was like oh i have to stay up all night listening to finish this because I need to know what happens. The The general thrust of the book is that Jake Livingston is, in addition to being basically the only black kid at his prep school in the Atlanta area, he also is a medium and he has been seeing ghostly things since he was a young child. He's clearly a teen now because I just said he was in prep school. And his family, it's not clear how skeptical they are versus how much they just want to bury their heads in the sand. He has like a, an older woman medium mentor who gives him some advice. But the majority of the book is him juggling with the fact that there is a spirit who has latched onto him. And it is the spirit of a recent school shooter in his neighborhood at the local public school and not the prep school that he goes to who is a, and Jake is queer, and the shooter was a queer white boy who had like very complicated feelings about his queerness and how it intersected with abuse that he underwent as a child and how he was treated at school by the folks in school and thus led to him shooting up school. Also, he, you know, was a sociopath. And it just is a very interesting intersection of seeing like, I, I wouldn't trust any other, any non-queer author to write about queerness from the villain standpoint, I guess is what I'm saying. It would be hard for me to trust it, but it was done so well here. And it was juxtaposed with Jake, who is like in his first relationship with you know, another black kid who started at his prep school who seems really cool and who immediately has this like awkward crush on and they immediately become friendly and he like immediately has all these feelings, but he doesn't know how to deal with them while also dealing with like his powers and this demon ghost that's haunting him that's trying to take over his body and make him do terrible things. And it's very well written. It was incredibly atmospheric. It was so spooky listening to it. 
in addition to a content warning for, you know, abuse and all those other things I just said, racism, et cetera, et cetera, a big content warning for bugs. There's a lot of bugs in this book. I was not expecting it. And I, as a person who does not like bugs, did have a couple moments where I was like, it's time to turn this book off and go do something else mm-hmm. because that's a lot of spiders. Oh, no. But it's worth it to push through. Uh, it was really good. It was very spooky. Is very interesting uh, meditation on queerness and racism and school shooting and all sorts of other things. And it's it's also re- relatively short. It's a quick read. And I would recommend it because that's why I'm talking about it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I've definitely heard that one's great from other sources. I'm not going to read it because I'm Don't scared. Don't read it. <laughs> but... <laughs> If you like to feel scared, go for it. Um, my my number six book. This is the one that if we had been strictly five, I, like obviously since it's six, but this is the one that was I would have left off, but it was going to be really hard for me to leave it off my list. And it's the Slaughterhouse Five graphic novel adaptation. And so Slaughterhouse Five originally by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. The script was adapted by Ryan North, and the art is by Albert Montes. And Kurt Vonnegut is just one of my, like, all-time favorite authors. And I feel like he is one of those authors where sometimes people are like, oh, you like Kurt Vonnegut? Like, what, you just picked the first book you read in high school and, like, decided to like it forever? Like, in that kind of, like, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and other things like that, where it's like, oh, you just like the first book you read in high school? And um, so I say to that. I have revisited his work and I just still love it. Like I just love Kurvonaga at Slaughterhouse Five. And again, I feel like this is so basic ass because it's like his most famous book. And you know, I feel like you could be a Vonnegut hipster and be like, oh my favorite is like Breakfast of Champions or whatever. But like it's my favorite Kurvonaga book. I love Kurvonaga and this adaptation is so good. Like it's so like Ryan North's sensibilities I think are so perfectly aligned with Vonnegut where they're both so funny and absurd, but so humane and so compassionate and so just sort of like tied into like how absurd the world is. And yet that there's still like moments of beauty that are worth it. And I just, I loved everything about it. I think his adaptation perfectly captured the book and the art, is great. Uh, like if you at all like Kurvonaga, I definitely recommend the graphic novel. If you haven't read any of his stuff, I think you could just jump right in with this graphic novel. Also, as a perfect starting point, Chef's Kiss. Great job, everyone. Can I say a terrifying thing that you might know? But I read it yesterday, and my soul <sighs> left my body. Dinosaur Wait, Comics in- is eighteen years old. Wow. Yeah. I, I thought you were saying that yesterday you read the Slaughterhouse Five graphic novel and your soul left your body. And I was oh, like, no, you didn't, no, no. Is that good? I don't know. Um, okay. Wow. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. Like, I remember reading it a long time ago, 18 years ago, probably. Yeah. I was saying to my roommate that I remember when, because uh, in the newsletter where he said it, he was listing some new merch. And I was like, I remember when he first made merch. Yeah. We're ancient. Anyway. Not not as old as dinosaurs, though. It's true. Not as old as dinosaurs, but older than dinosaur comics. Oof, barely. 
All right. So my my number five book is The Valley and the Flood by a friend of the show, Rebecca Mahoney. And this was, I, I think this is a great book regardless. It was incredibly well done. But also it was the first book that I read in almost a year. So it also was very emotional for me. <laughs> To have, you know, read this book after going so long without having read books. So that that was its own like emotional journey that I went on. But also, you know, and it was an emotional journey for me too to read this book having known that, you know, the journey that Becky went on to getting it published and how its published date was pushed back because of the pandemic. And, you know, she had to have this like online debut event because we were all in the pandemic times and vaccines hadn't happened yet. And, you know, I was very disappointed for her. But it is a fabulous book. It's incredibly good. It is spooky and sad and bittersweet, but also kind of freeing and encouraging. And it has a great ending. It's very satisfying. You really go on this like emotional journey with the characters that is a really, really good expression of what it is like to live with PTSD and anxiety and how these things affect your life through this like fantastical horror element. And it's incredibly well done. It is following a story about a girl named Rose, I believe. Yeah, Rose, that feels right. Um, (laughs) It's definitely Rose. Okay. (laughs) Remember what I said about the graphic and the... This is a good book, I promise, just because I can't remember the names of the characters. Um, Rose, I do remember Rose's best friend Gabby has died the year before in a car accident, and she has been dealing with PTSD in the aftermath of that and some things that have happened to her. And while she's driving through the desert overnight, her car breaks down, and she walks towards a radio tower that she can see in the distance of a town and when she gets there it's you know like this really weird place and she is told that there has been a prophecy that she would come to this town and that after she arrives she would bring the flood that was going to destroy the valley town and has been prophesized to destroy the valley town it's called lotus valley lotus valley thank you no problem. So she has to work with the folks who, the other teens in the town, to try and figure out like why this is happening, what the cause is, if it's possible to stop it, and work with these demon ghost things that live at the edges of the shadows in the town to figure out if it's possible to save the valley from what's coming. And it goes into her past and her relationship with Gabby and how that her death that death changed her and why it changed her and how she's been affected by all of these things that are going on and how the ways that she's been affected are being reflected in the town around her it's just very good it's very creepy it has this like building sense of foreboding throughout reading it and still manages to end happily it's just very well done. It, it's very original in the way the the world building of this town and the magic in this town 
And I, I would, I would recommend it. I'm going to end everyone with, I would recommend it as if that's not why I'm talking about them on this episode. I'll just interject and say that, uh, it's, it's one of the Boston Globe's best young adult books of the year. (laughs) And I didn't do that only because Becky is friend of the show, but because it's genuinely very good. Cause like other friends wrote books this year too and i didn't put them on the list like sincerely it's extremely good and just one other thing i want to interject is that i guess this is a light spoiler but it's kind of an anti-spoiler i don't know when i was reading this i was like oh this is good this is good and it's like leading to a reveal that i really assumed was going to be sexual assault just because so many times you know especially when you're reading a book about like a traumatized young woman it turns out that it was because of sexual assault and obviously that does happen a lot in the real life and i'm not saying it's like not worth writing about obviously but it was just sort of like refreshing it was like oh she wasn't raped like i like i don't know that's weird to say maybe but i was just like oh that's refreshing i mean honestly like i also had thought that at the beginning and it was refreshing that this is not a book about sexual assault. Yeah. Like, hey, fun fact, there's other stuff that's traumatizing. Yes. Which is one of the reasons why I really like it. Like, aside from the the way that it depicts, like, PTSD and anxiety and ties it to these supernatural things to give her kind of a monster to fight in a way that feels very refreshing as someone with anxiety. It's not the traumatic things that happen because I feel like a lot of times when people do have anxiety or PTSD, there's this thought that, Oh, well like worse things happen to other people. So Mm -hmm. what's happening to me, like people get raped, people get almost murdered, you know, so this isn't a big deal. And the idea that it was one of those quote unquote, not a big deal things that it wasn't, it, it it gives voice to this this contingent of people who I think sometimes feel overlooked in stories that explore those things. Yeah, yeah. So that's not officially on my list here on the podcast, but I do co-sign fully that recommendation. <laughs> but my number five favorite book of the year uh, was The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green, which... God, I feel like I have developed such a like automatic defensive nature on this podcast where I say something and I'm like, and I know you're going to be mad about that. And I don't know why. Like, I probably need to work on this because I just assume that everyone's mad at me all the time. Well, in your defense, there the <laughs> number of times that people say to us, oh, you need to cover John Green's books on your podcast. Exactly. When John Green's books aren't bad. And granted, we do cover books that aren't bad on this podcast, but like people are specifically saying it in the tone of like, well, here's someone who's written a lot of bad books you should talk about. Because I think people don't get it's okay if you don't like John Green's books, but I think people don't get John Green's books. And I think John Green had been particularly a few years ago, like overexposed and overhyped in a way that was not his fault. Like, yeah. yes, as a, like, straight white man, he was, like, overly praised. Not you know, over, I don't know. He was frequently praised by media outlets. He was kind of held up as, like, the the only young adult author. When people were mentioning young adult authors, it would often be, like, only John Green. Yeah. And, you know, and, like, John Green, I feel like, is one of those authors, like, Rick Riordan, who's done his best to, like, take that spotlight and be like, oh, well, actually, like, while you're here, why don't you look at this other, like author of color or like woman author or like woman of color you know like I feel like he more recently he sort of stepped down from the public eye I think partly because 
of all of this and also partly because he has anxiety that he writes about and talks about and that was a lot for him to deal with anyway all this to say i've always liked john green i don't know how i had missed this frankly he had started a podcast called the anthropocene review that i never listened to and i don't know like i follow him on twitter but i think he just sort of stopped promoting stuff as often and i just missed hearing about this And the podcast is like solo monologues where he just kind of like reviews something like the country of Iceland or like elm trees. Like just, you know, it's not like a book review or TV. It's just like reviews of concepts or like things. And he he's just a beautiful writer. And there's such like amazing observations and phrasings about just sort of like anxiety and love and family and trauma like tied into his essay about why trees are good and i just love this book cried at this book i still haven't actually gone back and listened to the podcast yet because i have too many podcasts but i from what i understand the book is basically the podcast kind of like transcribed and printed so i don't know what the difference is exactly but loved the book love john green haters don't at me (laughs) That's one that I feel like you told me about and I was like making a note that I should read it and then I think I specifically probably told you about the Iceland essay, which is very good. And okay. I, and I know you like Iceland. I do like Iceland. So does John Green. Spoilers. <laughs> oh my god, it's something we have in common. <laughs> so my number four book for this year is The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran. And this is a, a weird case for me. I don't normally do this, but I wanted to read a new book. I was like on a roll of reading books and thought that I think someone had said something. It couldn't have been on Twitter because I wasn't on Twitter. It might have been on Discord or on Instagram or something. Someone mentioned this book and it sounded like a fun thing that I maybe wanted to read. And I looked it up with library thing and none of my libraries had it in stock. It was really new. So I bought it, which I don't normally do. I don't normally buy books sight unseen largely because i normally listen to books and that's expensive and when i do buy books these days you know i I try not to necessarily buy them from amazon but i was like i'll I'll buy the the ebook of this and i'll i'll see and i i read it in like two days probably when i was supposed to be doing other things to be honest but it was it was genuinely good it was it was another book that dealt a lot with mental health and with anxiety specifically and did it in a really good way that like worked with the story. So I guess that's kind of a theme I've got going here. But the story is about a guy named Dev, who is a producer on a show. It's called Ever After. And it's essentially The Bachelor, because that's the, the sort of the premise of the book is it's a, a bachelor pastiche, which was probably what grabbed me because it is very like fan fiction-y thing, which I, I say with all the love in my heart, it delighted me. And that was part of what made me go after it. Dev is a producer and he's been watching Ever After since he was a kid and genuinely believes that his job working on the show is to bring love to people. And his the, the new season is starting. He's just gotten out of a terrible relationship or a, a relationship that was terrible for him. Uh, And unfortunately, his ex also works on the show. So he's like not looking forward to seeing this guy again, not necessarily looking forward to going back to work. But then he meets the bachelor for their season, this current season, the prince, who's a guy named Charlie, who is a tech entrepreneur 
who has a like reputation for being very difficult to work with. And on the very first night, Dev realizes that he has anxiety and really terrible OCD. And when he sees him having an anxiety attack, he realizes he's not difficult to work with. He just has anxiety and people don't know it because he doesn't talk about it. So after he's able to talk Charlie down from an anxiety attack, the producers are like, okay, you are now his guy. Like you're his producer. You're in charge of him. You're the only one who can work with him very easily. And your job is to like, essentially like handle him. You're his handler for the season. And of course, as the season goes along, at the beginning, he's like, Charlie's like, I've never been on dates before. And Dev's like, oh, well, like, we'll go on fake dates so that you can see what dating is like. It, it is just like, of course, over the course of the season, they fall in love and they have a secret relationship and then their secret relationship is revealed. And it's genuinely delightful. There's a ton of side characters. It's very diverse both racially and with various sexualities. There's incredible asexual representation in this book. They're, the characters are wonderful. They're fun. They felt very relatable to me as a very online millennial. And it, it just, it, it was incredibly charming. And there's such an emphasis on the fact that like a relationship can't start for these two gentlemen until both of them have their mental health in check. That was really refreshing. It, it was it was very good. It was just a delight to read. I would recommend it to anyone. It's a it's a very heartwarming heartwarming story. Well, that sounds cute. I want to read it. You should. But I I didn't read it this year. <laughs> Instead, what I read was A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abduraki, which is my my fourth favorite book this year, and. This is this is one I don't feel at all defensive about. I feel very secure that this is a great book. Uh, he won a MacArthur Genius Grant this year. He is an incredible writer. I've I'm sure I've recommended other books of his on the podcast before because I just love his writing so much. He is also a poet, and these are essays. You may notice from my list that I love an essay collection because he is also a poet, his writing is just so lyrical and so beautiful. And he has this gift where he he writes a lot about music and all different genres and artists of music. And even if he's writing about something where I've never heard a single song by this artist, I don't know who it is. Like he just really writes about them so engagingly that I'm like, I'm in, I, I don't know who this person is, but I love reading you write about them. And if he's writing about somebody I have heard of or like, then it's then it's even better. But it's just great. And so this one in particular, um, the subtitle of it is Notes in Praise of Black Performance. And so it's it's not only music, but it's it's all about different like black performers, black artists throughout the American history. And it has this on like each essay is an individual essay, but it is an ongoing story of like the history of race and racism in America in a way that I don't want to say of overcoming, but like, yeah, whatever, of, of overcoming it, of like the, the beauty and the face of the struggle of, that these artists were able and continue to be able to do. And it's it's just so good. That's all. You've definitely recommended his books before because I have one on my list but I don't remember what it's called. Do you remember that there's a dog on the cover? Uh, They can't kill us until they kill us. Yes. Love that book. I knew it had a good title. I just couldn't remember it. Anyway, 
that I didn't read that this year. It's just on my list. And maybe I'll get to it next year. But this year, a book that I did read, that another book that you shouldn't read. Okay, <laughs> the Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. This book was really hot in like horror book circles. I want to say in 2019. And I didn't get to it. And then 2020 happened and I didn't read anything. And then this year happened and I was like, he had a new book out that sounded really good. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to read this one first because I purchased it. (laughs) I purchased the audio of it many years ago at this point. And I'm going to read that before I read the new one. And I haven't read the new one yet now, but this one was fantastic. It deserves every word of praise that it's gotten. It won like 100 awards. So if you're into this type of book, you've probably heard of this book already. But I'm here to tell you that it turns out that all of those people who gave it awards were correct. It is an excellent horror book by a native author. Uh, it tells the story of these friends who went on a hunting trip in a place where they weren't supposed to be several years, I think like 10 years prior to the start of the book. And they they essentially like there, there was a part in the reservation that was hunting for anyone. And then there was a part that was reserved just for elders. And it was like the last day of hunting season and they decide they're going to go to the part for elders, even though they're not supposed to, because they really just want to like have some kills to bring back so that like winter's coming and, you know, a a fridge, a freezer full of elk meat will get their families and other families in their neighborhood through the winter. And they find this herd and they, there's something off about the whole experience. And 10 years later, they are slowly dying as something that they killed that night is coming back to finally seek its revenge. And it is just, it is a, a creepy story. And each section, so each one of the four guys, the way in which they're killed and the circumstances it's almost like each one is a different type of horror. It's very good. It's very creepy. I strongly recommend it. It, It's more of like a creeping creepiness, like a a foreboding, like atmospheric creepiness than there is any like outright like, and then a monster attacked, which almost makes it worse. (laughs) And by worse, I mean better if you're a person who likes that sort of feeling. But yeah, it's it's really good. I don't want to say too much about it because as it unfolds, part of the the beauty in it is the way that it unfolds. But like, I I think I even talked about this in the newsletter because it was so good. You know, definitely check it out if you're into creepy books. And hopefully next year I'll have read his latest and I'll be able to tell you about (laughs) Yeah, I've definitely heard that book is great. Again, not for me, but what is for me is my number three favorite of the year, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. And, um, you know, what kind of like with Stephen Graham Jones, her book Cast came out last year and that one was very buzzy. Everyone was talking about it last year. It had huge library wait lists. And so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read The Warmth of Other Suns while I'm waiting for Cast because that one is older and easier to get. And uh, this is my secret asterisk extra book I'm seeking. I also love Cast; it's great. But I want to talk about the warmth of other suns specifically because because it's so good, and because it's this like nonfiction award winning book. It's very long. I picked it up, and I was kind of like, 
oh, it is still pandemic. Like, I don't know if I'm going to have the focus for this right now, but I'm going to give it a try because it's supposed to be good. And it is, it's a history of the Great Migration when Black Americans from the southern U.S. moved north and in... She dates it 1915 to 1970. People really talk about it more in kind of the pre-World War II era, but it was an ongoing thing. And she is an incredible writer. She's so good. And this is true of cast as well. She's so good at taking complex concepts and making them understandable, making them engaging and readable, but not softening any of her points, but making them followable. And what I particularly loved about Warmth of Other Sons is it's so good at a micro and macro level where she did all these interviews, has all this research about the overall patterns of the like thousands of people who moved in the Great Migration. But then she went in depth and picked three people from her interview subjects. And, you know, they're not celebrities or anything. They're just kind of like three Black Americans who she chose to be representative and One had moved to California and one had moved to Chicago and one had moved to Harlem. And she just like checks in on them and uses them as emblems of like the greater patterns. But you get so invested in these three subjects lives and as well as the story. So those parts read almost more, you know, like a novel where you're just like, ooh, what's going on with them? But then the the big picture is so striking and so it's just a phenomenal book and and so is cast but anyway this is again like not shocking like she's won so many awards but i'm adding my voice too to say isabel wilkerson fucking incredible writer thank you excellent well our voice is important too that's right <laughs> we're a real podcast yeah my my number two is also kind of a cheat because it is two books i I, w- I was on a tear when i started reading again this year i went on a tear and i just started i read so many things in like a two-month period and these next two books actually the next three books because i really struggled with what order these books were going to go on the list and then i ended up going with the order that i chose and i'm going to stick to it but these next three books like when i finished them i felt high that's how much i enjoyed them i was like it was like i stayed up listening to all of them and when i was done i was like i need to talk to people about these books like this is so like i have so many feelings and thoughts about these books and no one is awake at three o'clock in the morning to talk to me about spooky books and it was terrible and uh but but they're they're so good and if you do read them you should talk to me about them (laughs) so the number two books are the rules for vanishing and our last echoes by kate alice marshall which i am binding together because they are a series i did i did read these in backwards order because they weren't necessarily marketed as a series in the like book one book two way and 90 percent of it you don't need to have read them in order but there is like one semi big thing (laughs) that does happen between the two books uh but it's it's fairly easy to to figure out like once once it's starting like it's very it's explained in the book you don't necessarily have to know in advance, but then when you go back and read the other one, there are some like revelations that are 
not revelations anymore because you learned about them in the second one. Um, so the first one's called The Rules for Vanishing. The second one is called Our Last Echoes. Both of them are part of what is called within the books, the quote unquote Ashford Files, taken from Dr. Ashford, who is a paranormal investigator and has been, you know, investigating all of these like weird occurrences across the country. And these are two particular occurrences, which in the frame story have been stolen. These files have been stolen from his records for some mysterious third party. And you are reading the actual records. And they're mixed media. There's clips of interviews. There's description of videos and photos. And then there is like first person diary entry accounts of what went down. All kind of put like largely in order, interspersed with these clips of videos and interviews and background information and research. So The Rules for Vanishing is about a girl named Sarah who... Her one year ago, her sister Becca disappeared following a local urban legend about if, you know, a girl died a long time ago. And if you go to this place in the woods at midnight on this day, you'll see like the road that she disappeared down. And if you follow it, like you'll like be in this other realm where she disappeared from and you can like bring her home or whatever. So her sister. Becca disappeared doing this, and she is convinced that if she goes to the road, she'll be able to help get her free. And she and her friends do it, and this is the aftermath of their journey through this road. And she is like giving an account of this to this doctor, explaining all of the like fantastical things and horrifying things that happened to them while they were there. And it is just, it's such a good original urban legend. And what happens to them is so freaky and weird and eerie and the after effects are very eerie. And it's just like, it's a great setup. The characters are great. The setup is like candy to me. This is what I love. I love stuff like this. And the next book is Our Last Echoes. And this one is about a girl named Sophia who has traveled to a bird sanctuary in Alaska. Uh, Her mother died when she was a very small baby, like two years old or something like that. And according to the folks that raised her, she's always lived in Montana. She's never been to the ocean. Her mother died in Montana with her. And she's been having this recurring dream of drowning for years But it doesn't make any sense because she's never been to the ocean before, or has she? So she travels to this bird sanctuary where she knows her mother was 15 years ago when she disappeared, or the summer before she disappeared. She's she's done some research and discovered it. And she's discovered that throughout history, like going back to like old timey times, there have been mysterious disappearances and mysterious occurrences on this island where this bird sanctuary is. And she is determined to figure out what happened to her mother and how her mother is related to this. And like what, what happened to her as a child. And it is, it is also like very original and very creepy and the buildup is very good. Like the, this mixed media format is very good. It even translates to audio very well, which isn't always the case. And it was just great. It was so engrossing. The characters are so engrossing. This, the frame story 
is so interesting to me. I would read a hundred more books in this series that are done as well as these two are. I just loved everything about them. They they were set up exactly, exactly how I wanted. Queer people, there's queer people in them too. That's important. You know how I feel about that. But yeah, it was just very good. And I, I definitely recommend them. Please read them and talk to me about them. I hope that there is more coming because I really, really liked them. <laughs> I want to read them again now talking about them. I'm like, what if I just listen to these two books again instead of any of the other books that I have taken out of the library and haven't started listening to yet? Dorote logged on because he was like, oh, a bird sanctuary? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> My second favorite book of the year was Tacky by Rax King, which is an essay collection. Surprise. And this is one I feel as I'm getting older and the publishing landscape begins to like pander to me slightly more or like as authors who are the same age of me or younger start to like get more and more books out, I guess. Like every so often I read something that just like reflects some specific experience of mine and I feel like my whole brain light up and I'm like, oh my God, is this like what it feels like to be a straight white man reading almost any book before (laughs) like now? Like you know like oh my god like no wonder they're so powerful like i just felt so (laughs) activated being like oh my god yes yes please continue to write about the experience of going to bath and body works as a tween in 1990s i need this (laughs) and and that's what it is it's a series of of essays as the title tacky implies about things that are basically considered in some way to be like tacky or not cool and as you can guess, maybe from listening to the podcast, like that's extremely my brand around here. And especially because again, like she is like a white woman around my age, like a lot of her experiences overlap with mine. Although obviously there are a lot of differences also, um, you know, she also writes a lot about like some Jewish elements of her life specifically and how those, you know, there's, there's things where I was like, oh, this is not literally my experience, but I still love reading about it. And then things where I was like, yes, exactly. And she, you know, she also writes a lot about content warning, sexual assault, and some trauma from that, like tied in specifically to maybe the way that sometimes some garbage pop culture can help you like unwind and recover from things like that. And I just, I liked it very much. I guess that's all. As a white woman and from the same generation who was also into all of those same things as a tween. And I feel like I also would be able to hashtag relate to that. Yeah, I I think for I think honestly, a lot of our listenership would be into it. Content warning for some sexual assault and domestic abuse. But overall, it's it's more a fun book than not. But there are like elements of that as well. All right. So I am up to my last book, my number one book. And like I said, these top two slash three, because one not my number two was in fact two books. These top two, it was really hard to to rank because all three of them gave me that same like drugged feeling of like, all right, like this is what reading is. <laughs> this is what I've missed. Uh, And this is The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. And you may remember T. Kingfisher. I mean, obviously, like, she she is a very popular author under both this pen name and Ursula Vernon. And both this book and her last horror novel. Oh, God. Was it The Twisted Ones? Yes, thank you. 
Both this book and her previous horror novel, The Twisted Ones, received a lot of awards. They were very buzzy. They were everywhere. And I personally put The Twisted Ones as one of my favorite books of whatever year that book came out. I devoured it. I loved it. I think this one might be better. I feel like with The Twisted Ones, it reached a point where there was kind of like a a lull and the pacing wasn't as good and it wasn't as interesting. Um, But it did have one of the most terrifying moments that I've ever had in a book. Terrifying moments that I've ever experienced while reading a book, I should say. This one, I feel like there was no moment that got me as good as that moment with the deer skeleton and the door in the Twisted Ones. But overall, the plot there the pacing was better and it was more sustainably creepy like the twisted ones this was based loosely loosely based on another work uh the twisted ones largely has like very broad ties to uh the white people which is a poem i believe and this book the hollow places has this connection to the willows by algernon blackwood and kind of they're they're just these like germs of inspiration that sprawl out into these like terrifying other worlds and stories and the hollow places in specific is about uh, a girl named Kara who is recently divorced she is she's like lost her house she's lost all of her her shit in this divorce from her husband and her uncle who owns this like weird little roadside museum in a small town offers that she can come and stay in the museum where there is a like whole living area and work for him at the museum if she needs somewhere to go so it's not necessarily like a handout or charity like she'll actually be doing work for him And he actually has a a bad back and a bad knee and he does need surgery. So while that is happening, like she will be in charge. She does genuinely need help. And she's like, okay, like she loved the museum growing up. It's like the weirdest little hole in the wall place. And she loves her uncle. So she does it. And then while she is there, while he is on medical leave, she notices there's a hole in the wall. And assumes that a tourist has like accidentally knocked into something and knocked the drywall down until she peers in the hall and sees that there is a concrete hallway within a bunker that is on the other side of this wall. And that that is physically impossible because the wall is connected to the coffee shop next door. Like there's no way that there is a concrete bunker in here. So she and her friend Simon, who is the barista and I think owner of the coffee shop next door, decide that they are going to, at first they're like, well, we'll we'll patch up the wall. And when they see how far it goes back, they're like, well, let's just go look inside and see what is there because this is so strange. And what is there is this terrifying landscape of like living willow trees, monsters, creatures that can track you by your negative thoughts and your fear and this near identical landscape that they end up getting lost in and they make their way back but they're not the only things that come back and it's just done so well it's so creepy and I've said this before about Ursula Vernon's work that I think very similar to what you were saying Renata about Rax King is that Ursula Vernon is very clearly a person who is about our age who was very online 
and mm-hmm. is nerdy and like that is very clear in her characters like there is a point where Kara like to calm herself down like she pulls up her favorite bookmarks on AO3 to mm-hmm. read until she falls asleep like there there is so much about her characters and her writing style and her tone and the voices of the characters that makes them feel like they're my, they're my friends like they feel like people that i know like if they moved to town they would be absorbed into our friends group Aww. which i do love and i love that like these terrifying things are happening to them and they're very self-aware about the terrifying things that are happening to them but that doesn't make them less terrifying and it's just really done like it's a great mythology that's built up into this great spooky story, you know, about these people that I love reading about and would read about forever. And this book is a joy, but also terrifying. If you if you find joy in terrifying things like I do, <laughs> you should definitely read this and read the Twisted Ones as well if you haven't read that already. But it, it was so good. Absolutely good. Amazing. Loved it. Can't wait for the next T. Kingfisher book, which I believe is coming out in 2023. Well, I'm not going to read that, but I will tolerate listening to you read a short excerpt from it. Okay. So I was kind of all over the place on what to choose to read for this because I didn't want to, you know, this sort of thing where like, I don't want to give too much away. So I'm just going to read from the beginning because I feel like that sort of gives you a good idea of like the tone and Kara and... You know, it hooked me in, so maybe it'll hook you in too. Nobody ever believes me when I tell them my Uncle Earl owns a museum. They start to come around when I explain that it's a little tiny museum in a storefront in Hog Chapel, North Carolina, although there's so much stuff jumbled together that it looks bigger than it is. Then I tell them the name and they stop believing me again. It makes for a good icebreaker at parties anyway. My uncle runs the Glory to God Museum of Natural Wonders, Curiosities, and Taxidermy. Most of it is complete junk, of course. There are things in cases that undoubtedly have Made in China stamped on the other side. I threw out the shrunken heads when I was 15 and found identical ones for sale at the Halloween store. But the Wall of Thimbles of the World is real, or at least contains real thimbles, and all the Brong masks are really from Bali, And if the Clovis points were chipped out in the 70s instead of thousands of years ago, they at least were still made by a human with a rock. The jar of mystery pods on the counter are the cones from a Banksia plant, but they are a mystery to most people, so I guess that counts. (laughs) And the taxidermy is real in so much as it is genuine taxidermy. That part of the museum has 11 stuffed deer heads, 6 stuffed boar heads, 1 giraffe skull, 46 stuffed birds of various species, 3 stuffed albino raccoons, a genuine Fiji mermaid, which I keep trying to get him to rename because I think it's probably racist, or at least he could put up a sign explaining the context, Mm. 2 jackalopes, an entire case of dried scorpions, a moth-eaten grizzly bear, 5 stuffed prairie dogs, 2 fur-bearing trout, and 1 amazing Amazonian river otter, and a pickled cobra and bottle. There's a lot of other stuff too. That's just the ones on the first floor. I'm leaving out the things in boxes, and some things are hard to count. How do I classify the statue of St. Francis of Assisi with the carefully stuffed and mounted sparrow perched on his arms? And I'm not really sure whether the scene of tiny taxidermy mice in armor riding cane toads counts as one thing or as six mice and two toads. They're in the case with the armadillo purse, and do I count clothing as taxidermy? and a mug that may have been used by Elvis Presley. The mug has an American flag on it. 
Uncle Earl put an album sleeve behind it with a large sign proclaiming that Elvis came to the Lord before he died. I'm not sure if that's true, but Uncle Earl firmly believes that every celebrity he likes came to the Lord before they died. I think this is so that he can picture them partying with angels instead of being hellbound. But yeah, it's it's a fun book that is also very scary. Mm. All right. Well, my... F- oh, bud. Sorry. Duarte has arrived. <laughs> He's been like circling around like, is it time for me yet? Is it time for me? I'm like, you are going to knock this whole shit over. He's such a cute little guy, though. <laughs> is he? Is he just a little guy? He's just a little guy, and he's cute. And oh, bud, oh, bud, I need you to take a walk right now. Okay. <sighs> I love that little guy, though. <laughs> okay. My favorite book of the year is, surprise, another personal essay collection. And this one is White Magic by Elisa Washuta. And it has a lot in common with Tacky. Elisa is about my age. Um, This is an essay collection, again, that combines like personal memoir, personal uh, trauma recovery with kind of reflections and meditations on pop culture and other things. Alyssa is a uh, Native American, a member of the Cowlitz tribe. And so there's that layer. And she specifically is often looking at portrayals or lack of portrayals of indigenous people in media, as well as just stuff that she likes, like Twin Peaks and things like that. This book, it's so beautifully written and i read a lot of essay collections as as this list shows but like even (laughs) even more than this but the structure of this is incredible and like she uses twin peaks specifically and other things like to talk about time loops and the way that it's structured it it's i mean it in some ways is sort of like recreating the experience of being in a time loop i don't even know how to describe what she did but it's It's so stunning once you, like, the first time it happens, you're like, wait, what? And then, like, as you keep reading and, like, the the essays evolve, like, if I I describe like this, you're like, oh, did she just, like, repeat the same essay? And, like, no, but, like, I can't even describe how great this book is. It's so good. Um, And, Kate, this is another one that, like, when I was reading it, I definitely, like, texted you, like, oh, you need to read this because... One of the essays is about like growing up in New Jersey and like going to the camp where they shot Friday the 13th and also reflecting on the bear population of New Jersey, which I know is a topic near and dear to your heart. It is. I know. Because that's how long we've known each other. (laughs) I know. There's a shopping center there now. There's no more bears, but there is a shopping center. Well, that's it's the terrible. thing. That's the thing is New Jersey's bear population is still spiking even – this is what the essay is about – even as, like, developments come up. And so there's still bears there and they don't have anywhere to go. And that's why people are getting so many more yard bears in New Jersey. Anyway, it's it's just spectacular. Oh, and I forgot to mention even the the title and the first essay and a lot of it is also about specifically the experience of – white people's like culturally appropriative quote witchcraft and seeing like witch starter kits in stores but also it's not even just like oh white people are doing this and it's bad it's so much more complex than that because it's also her being like I was sort of disconnected from some of these traditions and like this is also compelling to me and like I'm interested in this 
to, but feeling conflicted about it. It's just, it's never predictable, this collection, but it's always gorgeous. And I'm going to read a little bit to you. It's sort of a long excerpt because I just didn't want to cut it, but it's not the whole essay. But this one specifically is about a time in her life as an adult when she has reinstalled the Oregon Trail 2 computer game and she's sort of like struggling with alcoholism and addiction and it's kind of a low point in her life and she's like revisiting this game that she had played as a child, which I did as well. And I'm not starting quite at the beginning of the essay, but if you have ever played the Oregon Trail game, I feel like you can jump into it, I hope. I mean, you should read the whole book. Anyway. The dry goods and grocery store was miles back. Laudanum is sold only in town. You've checked every penny ante outpost on this trail just to see. And anyway, no trail ailment is improved by administering laudanum. There's always a better way to heal. You still long to yank yourself out of feeling. You get so lonesome you go to the high-end grocery store to talk to the artisan yogurt barman who always mentions his time as a school teacher. Inside the window, you're always with your party. You shoot your rifle at a deer and it turns from a grazing thing. God damn it, Dorte. Dorte, I love you. You're going to fuck my shit up. <laughs> That's not in the book. It would be wild if it was. <laughs> That's Dorte arriving to try to step on this keyboard. Sweetheart, get out of here. Okay. <clears throat> I'm leaving that in. I feel like that's key to the worst whistleblower's experience. <laughs> you shoot your rifle at a deer and it turns from a grazing thing into a lump. The hole in your chest closes. You have a purpose here. Firing one time, you shot 166 pounds of game and were able to carry it all back to your wagon. If you continue to hunt in this area, game will become scarce. Two years ago, you began weekly sessions with a therapist whose office was filled with crystals. The only thing you knew about astrology was your sun sign, but your therapist said you were experiencing your Saturn return. The planet, once every 30 years or so, returns to the spot in the zodiac it occupied when you were born. In this rite of passage, Saturn, celestial taskmaster, breaks apart and reassembles your life. Your job became intolerable when your boss snapped into tyranny. Your first book came out. Your long relationship with Kevin ended. You moved outside the city. You got sober. Four of Cups, featuring a person under a tree, arms crossed, refusing the cup offered by an extended hand. After weeks of this, you understood it was time, once and for all, after fits and starts and trials and failures and dry spells flooded, to get sober. But you still needed to buy the other supplies you'd need for your journey. A new moon webinar, a book of spells, a baggie of dried mistletoe, a tin of incense, a tiny cauldron. You recently turned an end table into an altar and learned to read the shapes left in a spent candle's wax. Because you've come to believe you might be a witch like that one character on The Magicians, a show you and Philip watch. Julia, denied entrance to the school for magicians where her protagonist friend matriculates, becomes what they call a hedge witch, cast out on her own, forced to learn magic without instruction. The internet says hedge witches are real, and you haven't told anyone, but you think you might be one. You've been hoping for a sign, something to make you feel in your gut that it's real, not just TV. 
One day, while you were frying tofu and kept getting bitten by the tiny drops of oil popping from the pan, you thought, I just want one thing in my life to be a little easier and less painful. Just one thing. Maybe I should get a fry daddy. Hours later, outside your office on campus, the free book table had no books, only an unopened box holding a brand new fry daddy. God is everything or he is nothing, your sponsor likes to say. That was the moment the mystery dropped from your head to your gut. You have always been in the mystery. The choice is not to be a witch or not be a witch, not to believe in magic or believe in reality, but to be an open door or a closed one. You are good at making choices. You continue. You stop at Pawnee Village. A man with a porcupine quill headdress says, now is a good time for trading. He says if you don't want to, perhaps you're not a friend of the Pawnee. No, you need him to be your friend. As a child here, you talk to every Indian twice. They dress like the Indians and dances with wolves, not in oversized Looney Tunes t-shirts like you, but you still knew they were your people. The white men in cotton vests and women in bonnets were not your people. Everyone wringing their hands over wagon dust or pushing you to get a move on. Tall Rain Cloud has one five-pound sack of tobacco that he'll trade for one ox. He sees you as another white man, a taker who owes a debt. You need your oxen more than his friendship. You move on. That's it. That's just kind of like the middle chunk of that essay. I don't know. I, I feel like it really captured like the wild range of topics, but how they all like fit together. I just love it. Yeah. It sounds good. It sounds like something. And when you said that, that you texted me about it, I was like, oh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to all these books. Oh, I mean, also, this was like a week ago or whatever that I, I made. But anyway, it was recently that I texted you. I'm not like, oh, I texted you and you haven't read it yet. Just yeah, like, no, no. Specifically, you should read it. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's books. That's 12 books. That's two more books than we intended to give you because we love you and not because I can't count. Because <laughs> we love you and because we love books. Um, Some of them. These ones. Yeah. By the way, we also, we used to do a thing where we would also pick the worst books we read this year outside of the podcast. We're not doing that anymore because there's too many other bad things. We don't yeah. need to contribute. It's true. We spend so much of this of this podcast telling you about bad books that sometimes we just want to tell you about good books. Yeah. I think originally we didn't include it because we were like, well, it's our brand. And I think people like expect us to dunk on books a little bit. And I think we've sort of evolved to where we talk more and more about books that we like. Anyway, and I know for me, and I've said this before, like every single one that we've done, like worst is frequently least best, because now that it's not my job to read books anymore, if I don't like a book, I stop reading it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's very hard sometimes to be like, ah, oh, like my worst book was this, you know, book of essays that I actually really liked, but I only read six adult books this year, and this was the sixth one. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, those were our favorites of the year. I hope you heard about something you'd like to read. Yeah. Do you have other stuff this year that was that was good that you want to talk about? Yeah. So, you know, as you may know, because we already mentioned it and because maybe you listened to it, last year we did a, a non-book episode of Favorites. And when Kate and I were planning this, she was like, well, we could do one of books and one of other stuff. And I was like, 
I don't know because I feel like my list of non-book things would still be very similar to what I had last year. Like, you know, still still out here playing Animal Crossing, still loving Legends of Tomorrow, still loving Baby Yoda till I till I die or be- he becomes adult Yoda. Whatever happens first. <laughs> <laughs> still out here loving Duarte for being just a cute little guy. So I, I do still love all of those things. I think this year has been so strange because, you know, last year, like, oh, it's pandemic and we're in lockdown and these are the things that got us through lockdown. But like as a public librarian, I went back to work in person last May. So I've been at work. And so in a lot of ways, my life is like, quote, back to normal. And then, you know, this year we were fortunate enough to get vaccinated and so even though like yes there's new variants and like yes i'm still wearing a mask when i go in public to a lot of extent my life is sort of back to normal just with like more anxiety and with masks on my outfits you know that's another thing that i love this year was like getting vaccinated and getting be able to go back to like to the movies and to see live theater like that's been incredible and i know that people have different risk tolerances and different factors you know i don't have any unvaccinated children in my home you know so i understand if people are like oh i'm still not going to movies i'm still not going to theater but like i love that i can yeah Vaccines definitely like top of my list. And there is a lot of overlap for me too. I think that it's been a weird year for me. I'm still working from home permanently because they're closing our office. Yeah. Um, Which has its ups and downs for me, a very social person. You know, being in my house all the time is rough, which I know like I always feel weird saying that because so many people don't have the opportunity to work from home and so many people like fought for the opportunity to work from home. And while I do, there are benefits and I do like it. It is really hard. I like, I live in an apartment with another person who I love, but there's not space for me to have like an office. Mm. So I'm doing my work in the same room that I do my fun stuff. And, you know, at first I was like very jokey about like, oh yeah, I just like close my work laptop and I open my home laptop. But Mm -hmm. like, it does suck when you have a really stressful, horrible day at work. And then it's like, all right, well, I'm moving to the other couch cushion. And that Mm -hmm. has to signify that my day is over because I have nothing else. I don't have an escape from work anymore. My work lives in my house with me. Mm. So that sucks. But, you know, I I have a job. It pays okay. I have a house. I have a lot of things that make me very privileged that a lot of other people don't have. And I recognize that. But, like, mental health wise, it's not been a great year for me for various reasons. But vaccines are great. I had my booster. I know you had yours too. I did. I feel excellent about that. I feel excellent that my family, with the exception of one aunt, uh, we won't talk about that, all have had their shots and boosted and it's great. Still still loving my nephew, who was my number one thing last year, who, not to brag, but I'm going to brag for a second. The other night, I guess, I don't know what prompted it. But he said to his parents, Aunt Kate is my favorite aunt. So then they immediately FaceTimed me. (laughs) Made him say it again. And it was so great. And I'm so excited to go visit him soon. So yay, air travel. Seeing my friends has been like a huge, a huge thing this year. Yeah. Included. Although I saw you the most out of almost anyone (laughs) during the pandemic. We were sort of in a pod, a podcast and a quarantine pod. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is that the first time we've made that joke? That I seems think impossible. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had some like mass outdoor gatherings and such pre-vaccination as well, which is also great. Like that was yeah. great. Yeah. Wingspan, that was a huge in my second half of the year. Fuck yeah. Uh, if you're not familiar, this is a board game where the entire point of it is that you're in charge of a nature preserve and you need to get birds to come live in your nature preserve. And it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, we played it for the first time together and have played it. I, and now I think we're both like evangelical about it. Like I had a friend visit and I was like, okay, well, tonight we're playing Wingspan, so jot that down. And <laughs> I, I mean, we played it for the first time in September and I think I've played it like 10 times since then. Yeah, same. We both, um, so my cousin and friend of the pod brought it on a trip that we were all on together because they had just played it with friends, she and her wife. And we both, Renata and I both went home and immediately bought it. Yeah. I also, by the way, I also bought a Fast and the Furious board game that I still haven't gotten anyone to play with me and I'm furious about it. (laughs) But I'm also like, I have stopped trying it as hard because I'm like, well, I guess we can just play Wingspan and that will also be good. But yeah. I want to play this Fast and Furious game. Gosh, what else? Well, I got in Legends of Tomorrow this year on your recommendation. Yes. yes. Just as good as Renata says. And I do I do want to repeat because uh, periodically people like hop on Twitter or Discord and they're like, I tried watching Legends tomorrow and it's bad. And I'm like, I literally told you season one is bad and like, please skip it. Like, season two is okay. Season one is like pretty bad. And normally I'm annoyed when people are like, the first season is bad. I'm like, that's a lot of something to be bad. But truly the nature of the show is such that it like functionally reboots itself each season. Like you truly, and I say this as someone who's like pretty completist and like will sit through a lot of garbage because I feel like I need to out of some sense of like watching the whole series, truly 100% skippable season one. Yeah. Truly. It. I, I feel like the only thing to me that makes me hesitate to tell, like, absolutely skip season one, but there is a character that's in season one that's not in the rest of the show who is just great. But yeah. I don't necessarily know that he's worth sitting through all of it. I would say don't start with season one. I would say once you get to the end, you're like, oh, no, I watched it all. Then you can circle back to season one. And then your love of the other characters that you know will, like, buffet you through the the real lows of season one. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's interesting too because like as much as like we're always like oh like this is just a goofy show, it does in later seasons. Season 1 is really dragged down by everyone has tragic backstory and everyone is reminds you of their dark tragic backstory every 5 seconds. And in later seasons, they very much like kind of lean into like, oh, like season two, they're still kind of holding on to it. But by season three, they're like, you know what? Dark, tragic backstories actually aren't that interesting. Let's just like have them go like go back in time and become knights or, you know, all, all this other like random let's have let's do a time loop episode. Let's frequently lean into the fact that a lot of our actors have, like, Broadway singing voices and, like, let's do musical numbers for, like, no real reason. Let's do yeah. It gets to a point where there's, like, at the beginning, and I don't like season six as much as a lot of the other seasons, but it's still better than season one and two. In the first, like, ten episodes of season six, there's, like, six musical numbers. <laughs> so good. 
But yeah, it's very, it's very fun. And despite the fact that they do like kind of do away with this, like, ah, like we're going to get rid of the dark, serious backstories, they're still able to like really tackle a lot of like emotional issues for the characters without using this dark, tragic backstory as like a crutch to do that. And I do appreciate that about them. Yeah. Other TV that I watched this year that got me through this year, I didn't watch West Wing. West Wing is like probably my favorite show of all time. I didn't watch it from like November of 2016 until uh, January of 2017 or um, 2021 for reasons that might be obvious if you think yeah. about that. And for some reason, insanity, quarantine insanity, because this was pre-vax, remember, we watched the pilot on Inauguration Day and then my roommate and I were watching Psych. So we finished Psych and started West Wing again from the pilot watched through it twice in a row and then I continued to watch through it like as we watch shows together at night after we're both done with work and then during work if my work is slow I put on shows during the day as just like background noise so even after we watched through it twice I started watching through it during my work day as well and two of my best friends also were having West Wing renaissances we were texting constantly about the West Wing. We were like fucking making like dumb 2021 memes based on this show that last aired in like 2006 <laughs> and texting them back and forth to each other. And it just completely consumed my life for several months in a way that it hadn't for many years. And I hadn't, I didn't write anything during the pandemic, the first pandemic year during 2020, like my brain just broke and I couldn't do any writing and I was miserable about it. And then I promptly wrote like literally 300,000 words of West Wing <laughs> fan fiction between like February and May. Wow. And that felt good. No one yeah. will ever read most of it because it's just for me. <laughs> but As a treat. Yeah. As a treat, I can have an incredibly self-indulgent AU where Sam wins his election and he and Will fall in love. And then Sam goes on to win the presidency several years down the road. And it is, I can have that for me, just for me. Other than Legends of Tomorrow, my favorite TV thing of the year was Ted Lasso, which I feel like is such a like basic pick. But you know what? I'm basic. I like Ted Lasso. I like the second season of Ted Lasso, too. It's a good show. It's not, I mean, sometimes things that are popular are good. Sometimes they're popular for a reason. As as we've learned on the show, sometimes popular things are good, actually. Love Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time to have a, a good show with a good heart. Yes. Other popular things that are good that I got extremely into this year would be Taylor Swift. <laughs> Oh, fuck yeah. Taylor Taylor's on my list last year. I love her. Yeah. And and she like kind of was on mine too. I kept going back and forth. And then you put her on and I was like, all right, well, I'll just steal. I'll just steal Renata when Renata talks about it. I'll talk about her too. I and I think I said this last year. I know that people are very rude about pop music, especially pop music produced by women. I don't listen to a lot of pop music, and it's not in any derogatory sense. It's just that I mostly listen to like folk music. That's just what I, I do. It's nothing against pop music. I'm not, I don't think that I'm musically better than you because I don't. But, you know, Taylor Swift last year released Folklore, which was a folk inspired album. It was a folk pop album, and folk pop is my jam. And I listened to it and became obsessed with it. And then I listened to it, her, the second one that she put out, Evermore, in the same vein and became obsessed with it. 
And this is this is sort of a two pronged thing. I had previously like I really liked 1989 when that came out. I listened to that a lot. I wasn't familiar with a lot of her older stuff. I started listening to some of the back catalog, but also a couple of my friends also got really into Taylor Swift for the first time in the past like 18 months. And it just like we really bonded over it. Mm. And like I ended up becoming even closer to this like group of my friends who I, you know, was already fairly close to, but didn't like talk to every day. And now we have a group chat and we talk every day and we've like gone to visit each other once we all got vaccinated and, you know, could could go places again. And it's just really nice to have that connection with people, especially during this time. And also, like, Taylor Swift, like, her music fucking rocks. And she's great, it turns out. And, like, a great songwriter. And it's good music. And, you know, she's, like, doing doing lots of good stuff, like, as a human. Anyway, I'm I'm a I'm I guess I'm a Swifty now. <laughs> Hell yeah, uh, Jorah Day of course is a fan of her cats Olivia and Meredith. Also, I'm I'm remembering also last year like I recorded and I was like oh uh, like I love folklore and then in between the time we recorded the episode and it came out she dropped Evermore yes. and then people were on Twitter like oh what you didn't like Evermore I'm like it wasn't out yet. <laughs> I remember that was when we still had someone else editing the podcast for us and she like messaged us both and was like this is hysterical listening to you talk about folklore knowing that between the time you recorded this and the time i'm working on it another secret surprise album has dropped taylor she got us again yeah Uh, i feel like we should stamp this we're recording this on december 4th if taylor has done anything between now and when this comes out we didn't know about it but i bet we'll like it yeah (laughs) Yeah, that that all too well ten minute version, like God, it's so good. I truly love that day of Twitter of just everyone dragging Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, roast that guy and his currently twenty five year old girlfriend. Oh, I mean, my. don't roast her, roast him because of it. Yeah, I mean, this feels like sort of a good point to end, frankly. Yeah, and well, and this sounds cheesy, but it is so true. The Another thing that truly has enhanced my year in my life is just everyone who listens to this podcast and engages with us in any way, or even if you just like silently listen, like th- thank you for making this not just us talking to ourselves, which would be a waste of time if I'm just talking to Kate. <laughs> what, what am I doing? <laughs> just kidding. You know, it's nice. It's nice to talk to Kate, obviously. Yeah. And I like I totally same same these like I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I am on the discord and knowing that there's all of these folks who like joined our discord server just because they like our show and want to talk to other people who like it is just very humbling to me. You know, when we started this, I know that that um, Kevin Smith has become a problematic character and probably always kind of was. But when we started, Renata told me this quote from kevin smith that i'm paraphrasing where he was like if you want to start a podcast with your friends you should go ahead and do it because even if it doesn't go anywhere you'll have hours of you talking to your friends and having a good time on audio and that's something worth having and i i do truly feel that way about talking with you yeah and i'm very grateful that we started this even especially before we lived so close together you know when we initially started this we lived in different states and different parts of the country And that was great. And, you know, it still is great when you're right here 
And I'm so happy that we have this and we've been able to grow our friendship of, you know, 22 years or whatever by doing this. Our friendship is older than dinosaur comics. Our friendship is older than dinosaur comics. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, but, but knowing that other people like it, that other people say it's their favorite podcast. I listened to, to the show, My Favorite Murder to Sleep which I know sounds weird, but I just find Karen and George's voices and personalities and discussions very comforting. And to think that there are people out there who feel the way about us that I feel about Karen and Georgia is, is very humbling. It, it makes me, it makes me feel glad that we can do that for people. I know. I feel like much has been writ- written and said and podcasted that, that there is this interesting relationship that a listener has with a podcast because they're like, you don't see them, but they're just in your ears and the conversational tone. Like you do feel closer to a podcaster than maybe like a TV star or whatever. And yeah, like I know how I feel about my favorite podcasts and same to imagine anyone having like having the same vibes toward us as like, you know, Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber. I'm like, oh my God, thank you. And and even if you're like a casual listener, like I don't like you guys that much. That's fine. Still, thanks. <laughs> That's fine. I get we're it. Still, we're still okay with that. That's you know. Uh oh, we have a whole thing we usually do at the end of the podcast. We do. We do have a whole thing we usually do at the end of the podcast. <laughs> you know, if you're here, you probably know that we're on social media at. On Facebook and Instagram, Worst Bestsellers spelled normally, and on Twitter at Worst Bestsellers with no S because, you know, I ripped that S off and I threw it at that man who said he didn't like Baby Yoda. (laughs) 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 And it was a rash decision, but I stand by it. And it was a rash decision, but it was the right decision. (laughs) And uh, our website's worstbestsellers.com. Everything else is linked to at worstbestsellers.com. That's how the internet works. Yeah. You know, you can subscribe to us at all the regular places, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify. And if you have subscribed to us on Spotify and you've reached out to tell us that we were in your Spotify wrapped, I tried to like ping all the ones I saw on Instagram because I'm not on Twitter anymore. And obviously, like I've been talking to folks about it in Discord, but know that we probably saw it. Even if we missed it, we do love you anyway. If you do subscribe to us on those platforms, if you take a moment to rate and review, it would be great. It moves us up on the charts and makes it easier to new people to find us. And it just, it's a good, it's a good Christmas present. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, give a threat the way that I normally do in this jokey section here, but we would appreciate it as a good Christmas present to offset people who don't like the podcast because we like Baby Yoda and sometimes don't talk about books. As we mentioned at the top of the show, we are going on our winter hibernation for January, so it'll be a little while before our next episode, and we haven't totally pinned down what book we'll be coming back with, but yeah, it'll probably be one of Nora Roberts' books, so that narrows it down to one out of like a couple hundred that it could be. Yeah, we normally do at least one Nora in February, so prepare for that. Um... Yeah, until then, um, thanks so much for listening. Oh, truly, we love it. We love you. Uh. Yeah, is is good. Thanks for thanks for getting through this year with us. And we're excited to we're excited to do more things next year. I mean, the normal amount of things, but also, you know, maybe we'll be able to have a live show in person. What <sighs> watch again as like seven new variants come out between us recording this and it being released like never mind 
December 4th, it's December 4th. <laughs> uh, well, we'll be here around. Yep. <laughs> and, and we hope you will too. And, oh, and you know what? Happy New Year. Happy yeah. New Year and happy whatever holidays you celebrate. If you celebrate Hanukkah, it's already over. But I hope it was nice for you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> This is fine. You're going to have so much fun editing all of this out. I'm great. I had a whole cup of coffee and this is what I'm like.